New Zealand police have been trialling new facial recognition technology that goes beyond anything we've seen before. You probably don't know about it because they haven't told you. The police are quietly setting up an $8 million facial recognition system that can take a live feed from CCTV cameras and identify people from it. This would push New Zealand into new territory for tracking citizens. And it's not the only system they've been looking at. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, the wild west of facial recognition technology and regulation, and why it's alarming. And when does crime fighting cross over to invasion of privacy? For many of us, this tech is already a part of our lives. Ever used a face swap app? Gone through customs using an e-gate? Zach Doffman, CEO of facial recognition tech company Digital Barriers, says a straight ban on developing better technology risks society going backwards. The problem with stopping using it or testing or working with the technology is you stop improving it. And I think history doesn't look well on technology such as this, which can be a powerful use or force for good, where they're just prohibited and they kind of they go underground, if you like. If you've got nothing to hide... You've got nothing to fear, right? You may be worried about our technology, but it's just used by police departments to catch terrorists and keep you safe. But if we know anything from the history of technology and the history of Silicon Valley, it's that the initial intended use is not the only use. Everyone has something to hide, whether it's from your girlfriend or spouse or child, you know, every, everyone has something they don't want everyone to know. I, mm. I mean, that, if you take that argument to its logical conclusion, then people won't have curtains in their house. Gahan Gunasakara is an associate professor at Auckland University's Business School. He's also the chair of the Privacy Foundation. I asked him where New Zealand police are at with using facial recognition technology. Well, they already have some of it, but we know that they are improving it all the time and they want to simply keep grafting on more and more capabilities. And that's what worries me. We have been trying to get to the bottom of that with the police. And I have to say that um, it hasn't been very helpful. The police uh, they haven't been as transparent as we would like. We would like them to be even more transparent than they have. And, and is that worrying when, when it, they're it not worrying. being transparent? It is worrying. It is worrying because it makes you wonder what else they're planning to do. These things are all subject to uh, agreements, information sharing agreements between the various people who have access to it. Uh, and those documents, in my opinion, should be made public. There should be PIAs or privacy impact assessments done every time a new technology is used. So, and they're currently not made public? Not all of them are. Some of them are. And then they say, well, this is part, we've already done that uh, a few years ago. This is simply adding to our existing uh, processes, so we don't need to do a new PIA. Well, my, my response is, yes, you do. But it's not just privacy impact assessments the police have failed in. Just four months ago, they trialled US facial recognition tech without telling anyone. The Justice Minister, Andrew Little, says the police failed to get any of the necessary clearance before trialling controversial facial recognition software. RNZ has learned the police tested American company Clearview's AI programme without consulting their bosses or the Privacy Commissioner. Mr Little says they also failed to alert anyone from the government. Clearview AI is used to help with investigative and forensic work. In other words, it's not used as 24-hour live surveillance. 
you enter the face you want to search for. The text scrapes through public images on the internet. This includes platforms like Twitter and Facebook. And it finds matches. But that's controversial because a lot of these platforms are against the scraping practice. Last night, Google and YouTube sent Clearview a cease and desist letter, and this comes weeks after Twitter did the same, demanding Clearview stop scraping pictures from their platform and delete any data taken. The trial in New Zealand only had one successful match, and the police say they will not be taking Clearview AI any further. In fact, they are undertaking a review to make sure privacy implications are properly considered when it comes to surveillance tech. But it's not just Clearview AI New Zealand authorities have been linked with. Both the police and the Department of Internal Affairs are using Neoface, a program developed by Japanese company NEC. The department is spending $20 million on the tech to update its passport system. And since 2014, the police have been setting up an automated biometric information system using Neoface. RNZ reporter Phil Pennington says US firm DataWorks Plus will be running the system and will start off by collecting 15,000 images a year. This is a firm that supplies a lot of US police departments. A, a US senator recently accused DataWorks of running systems that discriminate against black people. And it's been set up, this system, under the police's serious and organised crime unit. But its application appears to be far broader than that. They are initially going to be using this new system to go through their own files of images, as they do currently. But under a section entitled Future Needs, the tender says that police may want to use it to also scan people's photos from their passports and driver's licences. Police have previously denied that they would search driver licence photos. The tender also shows the police set out to get a system that can import CCTV feeds to identify people. Now, police have previously said the system is not designed to continuously run against live-streamed CCTV. However, Neoface, we know from NEC, is expressly designed and marketed to do just that. And in fact, it is marketed to combine identification with surveillance. One of its marketing lines is, we watch over you, everyone. The question I would raise with these overseas providers of these technologies is the police or anyone, any other agency in New Zealand needs to be very careful when employing one of these companies is to make sure that, the comp- first of all, that the data is secure because if the company is probably holding the data on their own cloud platforms, there's a security issue. But that's the least of my worries. I think the real concern is that these companies will then also use that data for their own purposes. And they might muffle it by saying it's to do with their analytics or better improving their service or something like that. But that's code for essentially using the information to make even more profits. Gahan Gunasakara says something else that's concerning is the access to databases such as passport photos and driver licences. Access to those currently is very tightly restricted. Not everyone has access to those. Now, some of the public statements I have seen from the police talk about they're simply tapping into those databases. And that makes me worry because at the moment the understanding is you only tap into those databases 
if there is a some kind of clear and present danger, you, you're looking for a murderer or there's some serious matter that needs to be looked into, you don't do it as a matter of routine. Mm. Uh, and, and the danger is that then you can merge that database with, with, say, another database that the police are building. Is there evidence that they have been routinely going into these databases not, to use it? Not yet from the public statements that I, that I have seen and that uh, our organisation has seen. So from what I'm gathering, they're asking to do this, which would mean, which is encouraging. It's encouraging that they would have to then go through a process. You can't just automatically have access to those databases. There would need to be an information sharing agreement, which would need to be scrutinized. Uh, certainly the Privacy Commissioner could comment on it. But I think it needs to go further. There needs to be more public consultation. And if we find that there are flaws in it, uh, better safeguards are needed, then we people people will make flag those concerns. But we don't want these agreements written up behind closed doors and unless there's a problem, you never find out what the agreement is. That would be unacceptable. Uh, that is the one area in which our privacy law is relatively weak. We have a very good privacy law in New Zealand. It's being updated and a new Privacy Act comes in on the 1st of December. But it essentially hasn't changed the features regarding things like facial recognition technologies. We have the general principles, the privacy principles that apply, and those do provide some measure of protection. The government did announce an algorithm charter in July this year. It outlines standards for public agencies when they're using algorithms to make decisions. But the bottom line is that legal framework about what is and isn't allowed with facial recognition technology is lacking in New Zealand. And that's a concern especially when commercial businesses, such as supermarkets, are also looking into this tech. I ask Ahan whether the new Privacy Act will give the public more protection. The short answer is probably no, but there are things that have changed which could alter the balance a little bit in favour of uh, people's privacy. So uh, I'm talking about things like there's now mandatory notification. So if somebody suffers a hack or a breach into their systems, uh, you can't sweep it under the carpet. There is now a positive duty to notify the people and the Privacy Commission, and there's a fine if, if an agency does not do that. Uh, the other thing that the Commissioner now has powers to investigate agencies and then uh, make compliance notices on them. So if a company is, say, employing facial recognition for some purpose that is completely improper, uh, you don't have to wait for someone to bring a complaint. The commissioner can immediately serve a notice saying you, should, you must uh, stop doing that straight away. Failure to adhere to that again, you know, there's, a, there's a potential fine. So when we when you look at companies, and we know supermarkets and others have been using facial recognition technology, yeah. which I think is a worrying development, um, because we don't know what purposes. If they're using it just for stopping shoplifters, that's one purpose. But we know that these things could be subject to mission creep. So, you know, what starts off with um, stopping shoplifters might end up, you know, they might identify very uh, very good customers as well from that. Right, and see what you like to buy. Exactly, right. and and it could lead to market promotions. And now that mm. if, if a company were to do that now, it would be completely breaching the, the, the existing privacy rules we have in New Zealand. But But... What has changed now is that if a company were to do that, it's not just the individual that, that needs to complain. The commissioner can immediately take action against that. And, and do you expect that there will be a lot of cases that are brought forward to the commissioner? I expect to see the commissioner going out more aggressively and things that he's not happy with. At the moment, he can just only make comments, which no one, people can ignore. But come 1st of December... 
uh, people would have to listen to what he says very carefully because <laughs> yeah, otherwise yeah. there could be a fine. Yeah. And and what is what is the fine we're talking about? Fine is piddly by international standards. It's $10,000. But remember, okay. it's $10,000 per incident. So it could add up, very, you know, if, if a company has breached someone's privacy one day and it and it's done it over a, a month, you know, uh, that's $300,000, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it depends. But I think the real um, punishment will be in terms of the bad public relations that would result to a, somebody, a company or a government agency mm. that frequently... Uh, incurs these kinds of notices. Legal framework is something that's also in short supply in other countries around the world. And even facial recognition tech companies themselves are asking for clarity. I think there's a, um, a kind of a regulation vacuum globally on facial recognition. And I think that's caused the industry and buyers of the technology huge problems. Zach Doffman is the founder and CEO of UK company Digital Barriers, which provides live surveillance tech such as facial recognition. He says what is and isn't allowed is very murky. It's very unclear if you're a police force operating in most parts of the world what you can and cannot do. Uh, And that, if you like, is part of what's led to what I think is, is somewhat of an overreaction in terms of going from one extreme to the other. But certainly in my experience, if you talk to customers in the main, they just want clarity. They they campaign or believe strongly that the technology can do a very good job for them, can be very helpful. Mm. Um, but they want the government, the authorities to just, you know, they don't want it prohibited. They just want to say, look, here's how you use it. Here's the operational constraints or the protocols, call it what you will, that you have to operate under. But, um, but that at least gives them a, a frame of reference under which they can operate. At the moment, they're kind of being left to try and work out where the balance is and We've seen here in the UK with legal challenges and the like that, in essence, what that what's happened is, you know, the police have gone out and and used facial recognition the way they felt was appropriate. There has been a challenge, and because there's no regulation, then it's a it's kind of a, it's, it's quite a subjective matter to try and interpret. Just last month, the Court of Appeal for England and Wales found that South Wales police were unlawful in their use of facial recognition technology through live CCTV footage. I think the findings from memory were around the you know operational protocols. So was enough thought given to who was in a database and how it was being used, and was it an appropriate use on that particular day for that particular purpose? But then also whether the, the the police force had done enough work around the potential racial um, accuracy of, of the technology itself. So the, so the technology of the, of the algorithms. And I think these are these are all good questions. I, you know, we look, we are a software company, we, we develop facial recognition, but we're not an advocate for the indiscriminate use of it at all. We we, we think the industry's gone too far. Um, there are no controls. There's no regulation. Mm. We do believe that there's a hugely valuable use for it. You know, we designed our system working with customers that were looking for terrorists, ultimately threats to national security, um, where, you know, we know for an absolute fact that the technology has been, you know, fundamentally useful in taking bad guys off the street. And, you know, I absolutely stand by that. I'm very proud of of that use of the technology. I would be very wary and I wouldn't want to see it used for, you know, low-level crime. Then let's talk about data in terms of, and I know with digital barrier tech, normally you have what you call a match list. And if someone isn't on that, then they just get ignored. Is that correct? Absolutely. So... If you were to walk past a camera with our technology um, and you were not on the watch list, then it's as if you, you, you would not be seen, you'd not be stored. Now, clearly there are some applications where you might want to store that information. So, for example, 
if you were a um, a national security agency and you were looking for terrorists, it might be of huge value and totally appropriate and proportionate if you saw somebody on your watch list to understand who they were with. So in that scenario, you might want to capture the people seen with somebody on your watch list. But 99% of the time, you know, the system just ignores you. It doesn't store you. You're not tracked. You're not registered um, unless you are you're on that watch list. Zach Doffman says Digital Barry's technology is incredibly accurate. He says the company doesn't hold any of the data that customers collect. The question is then, where should the line be drawn with facial recognition technology? I would want use to be only in constrained circumstances for very particular reasons um, with limited watch lists. That's Ben Bradford from University College London's Global City Policing Institute. He's not fundamentally opposed to the tech, but tells me what circumstances are a no-go. If the police were using this on a mundane, everyday basis in many streets, looking for people who had minor convictions um, or uh, warrants outstanding for minor arrests, those kinds of things, I'm much more happy with them using it around, for example, a high-profile event that they have intelligence could be subject to a terror attack. Mm. In between those two examples, there seems to be um, the space to say, well, okay, it's okay to use it in some circumstances, but in many circumstances it won't be okay to use it. And when you talk about the watch list, what do you think should be the threshold for the police to put someone onto that? Usually the watch lists they've been using, certainly Metropolitan Police, the watch lists they've been using before now um, have been almost entirely composed of um, people who um, have outstanding warrants for for more or less serious crimes. Uh, I think that's acceptable. If those crimes aren't serious, I think that's unacceptable. I also think they would need to have very, very, very good reasons to include people on the watch list who hadn't been arrested for a crime um, Mm. that they were then wanted for by the police subsequently. Um, In other words, just on suspicion. Ben Bradford says for many countries, what is and isn't allowed with facial recognition technology is currently dependent on whether it infringes on other areas of law, such as privacy. That's really diverse, lots of debate, lots of um, uncertainty about the extent to which the police should be able to use this technology, can use this technology, why they're using this technology, what they hope to be achieving with it. And there seems to be... A lot of pushback currently. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's something about live facial recognition technology that, that really seems to alarm a relatively large proportion of the population, at least when they're informed about it. Whether in the long run that level of public concern is, is enough to, to significantly dampen the ability of the police to use this technology in the long run, I think is unclear at this stage. But, it, but I think it's certainly there. Unlike many other bits of new policing kit that come along that are just taken up with relatively little public debate. And another problem is that the tech is extremely complicated. Very few people properly understand how it works, Mm. including those inside the police organisation are buying it often. Uh, And there's a whole whole set of fears around the black box. No one really knows what the algorithms are doing to spit out the results that they do. And and, and obviously in a legal context, if people don't understand how a result is being produced that leads, I think, inevitably to kind of procedural concerns that, that, that there's a black box here that we can't look into to see how these results are coming about. So what would you say are your other main concerns? I mean, I know there's the concern about 
um, algorithms and um, racial profiling and racial discrimination with this kind of technology? The absolutely central concern is is what's known as the chilling effect. So, so the extent to which people, when and if they become aware that the police are using this technology, um, are, are inhibited or stopped doing things that they are, would otherwise have liked to have done, which are perfectly legal. Um, and the, the obvious obvious example there is is attending protests. There is some evidence, but again, we've, we've conducted some survey work on this, that a significant minority, but a significant minority of people say, for example, that they would think twice about going to a public event or a march or a demonstration if police were using live facial recognition technology there. Is this also then the case not necessarily to do with facial recognition technology, but also training frontline police officers on how to use this technology to complement their work instead of determining their work. That's an absolutely key point. Um, one of the issues here, one of the dangers, is that, um, that, that professionals of all kinds, actually not just police officers, using these tools get themselves into a position where, um, in our case, the the AI uh, flags a match um, and the police officer involved simply assumes that it must be correct because this technology is lying behind it, whereas Mm. actually in reality, and what they're told to do, and as far as we're aware, what they have been doing, certainly in London, is it's flagged for a human to look and make the decision. So exactly as you suggest, this is an aid to decision-making. It's not the decision-making process itself. But the danger is that that difference becomes... Uh, eluded and, and just lost. If you know, you know, you had a magic wand and you could have a say in the kind of things you'd like to see in a legal framework. What are the main things that you would want to see made really clear with the use of this technology? External oversight, probably some process akin to applying for warrants to conduct this activity. So things put in place to ensure that when police use, were using this technology, um, people from outside the police organisation had oversight of that process and were actually able to, to block police use in particular circumstances if they didn't think that a set of criteria had been reached. I mean, that's the fundamental issue. Then you can have a debate about what the set of criteria should be. So what constitutes a crime serious enough to make your way onto the to the watch list. I think the, the bigger issue is it's it's not just police organisations making these decisions. There are external actors involved and, and those external actors have powers. It's for society to figure out what those limits are, uh, but it's also for, um, it, it, it's for everyone to essentially think about the basic underlying privacy rules that we have in New Zealand, which are internationally accepted so you know your purpose limitations you don't want mission creep you want to be upfront about what you're doing it's those kinds of you know just common sense kinds of things i think if you use those common sense rules people can't really go wrong you know if you're using it for a designated specific purpose we are upfront with people about what that purpose is uh, we don't keep the information longer than we need it for that purpose, uh, and we only share it for that specific purpose. If you, do, if you do that, you can't really go wrong. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. 
The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Gahan Gunasakara, Zach Doffman and Ben Bradford. Matewa. Matewa.